Well, good morning. This morning we get to finish up our Out of the Shadows series for the summer. We're looking at uh, one more woman from the Bible who usually remains far away from the spotlight and doesn't get much attention. So last week, if you were here, you know, we looked at three of them. We looked at, at, at Mary and Joanna and Susanna, and, and we learned about power from them as they received power from Jesus, as they recognized what true power really looks like in Jesus. And when they use their power for Jesus and for the kingdom of God. And we didn't spend a lot of time last week on that last point. About how they translated their, their gratitude to God for all that he had done for them, right? Jesus had healed each one of them. Of how they translated their gratitude to Jesus into action for Jesus. We didn't spend much time because I knew that the woman we're going to look at today would help us do just that. So this morning, we're going to meet Dorcas. Dorcas, Acts chapter 9. Take out your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter 9. The only time that this woman named Dorcas comes out of the shadows and into the spotlight for us to see is this, this very short section in Acts 9, page 891, if you're looking for it in your, the Bibles and your benches. We only get to see her in verses 36 through 43. Let me just read verse 36. Here's our whole introduction to her. Acts 9, verse 36. It says, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Okay, stop there for a moment, because that's all we get to know about who Dorcas is and what Dorcas does. I mean, if you're wondering what you missed, you didn't miss much. Dorcas doesn't do anything overly thrilling, does she? This verse doesn't make you say, whoa. Right? She doesn't perform any miracles. She doesn't heal the sick. She doesn't raise the dead. She doesn't multiply bread and fish. She doesn't rise up and become a grand leader in the church. She doesn't preach Jesus to large crowds of people with eloquent words that they'll never forget. She doesn't stand up and confront world leaders like, like the, the, the women that we studied in Exodus the very first week, standing up to Pharaoh, right? The Hebrew midwives, she doesn't do that. She doesn't fight any battles. She doesn't lead the, the army into battle like Deborah did back in Judges. What's her claim to fame? She's always doing good and helping the poor. That's it. Always doing good and helping the poor. In fact, in fact, it, not only does that not seem thrilling, but it seems to become even more mundane when you find out how she actually does it. Right? We, we know the specific way that she does her good and helps the poor. You know what she does? She sews. She sews clothes. She makes robes and dresses and, and other kinds of clothes, and she gives them away to the poor widows in her community. When I hear the name Dorcas and I hear the story, I always think back to when I was in high school. In high school, one of my part-time jobs is working at my church, and I would do all the setup for the different events that, that went on throughout the week. And, and every Wednesday, I needed to have a bunch of tables set up in the back room for the Dorcas Society. Anybody remember the Dorcas Society in your church? There's a few. 
The Dorcas Society was, was a few mostly older women in the church who lugged their sewing machines to church every Wednesday afternoon, and they sewed together. And they mended clothes, and they made clothes, and they gave them away, just like Dorcas, only 2,000 years later, doing the same thing. And you know what? The spotlight never shined on that group of ladies at Calvin Church in Muskegon who every Wednesday got together and sewed. They never got any accolades for what they did. Nobody gave them a plaque. Their pictures weren't hanging in the hallways at church. There was never a special celebration for them, highlighting all the shirts they made and the dresses they mended and gave away. You know, in, in our society, where it seems like everything is either all or nothing, either awesome or terrible, right? It's either the best or the worst. Sewing usually doesn't get placed in the all awesome best category, does it? Always doing good. Being a spiritual do-gooder. That's what she was. That's not a title that many of us really strive for, right? A spiritual do-gooder. It's not something to be celebrated. And we are completely wrong about that. We miss what God sees and what God celebrates. And Dorcas, the story of Dorcas proves that. Listen to the whole story. I want to start again at verse 36. Let me read the whole section there so we get to know what happens to her. Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them. When he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. And he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. What a story, right? Here, this church member... This church member who spends her days sewing clothes for the poor, she dies. And the whole church community is rocked to the core by her death. This is not somebody on the fringes of the community doing her quaint little sewing ministry hidden away in the back room of a church on Wednesday afternoons. Who she was and what she did was at the very core of this family of faith. And they can't imagine doing life and doing ministry without Dorcas. They are lost 
without her. So here's what they do. They know that the apostle Peter, Peter is in the neighborhood, right? He had just healed, if you read the paragraph we skipped right before, he had just healed a man who had been paralyzed for eight years in the neighboring city. Now they seem to think that if, if Peter can heal a paralytic, then it's not too far of a jump for him to also be able to raise the dead. Even though as far as we can tell, Peter nor any other disciple had ever raised someone from the dead before. But they seem to think, not a big deal. If he can do that, he certainly can raise her from the dead. So, so they don't bury Dorcas before sundown, which is what Jewish tradition says you have to do. You have to, you have to bury a body before sundown. In fact, they don't even anoint her body for oil, which was, of course, that's what you had to do, especially if you're not going to bury that body before sundown. You had to anoint it. They didn't do either of those things. They, instead, they took Dorcas's body, put her in a room upstairs, and they prepared her for life, not for death. And they sent for Peter. Now imagine being Peter. That this whole community is waiting for you. You show up and you find out what they expect from you. We expect you to come and raise her from the dead. You've never done this before. You don't know if you can do it. And when Peter arrives, he sees how much they absolutely adore and love Dorcas. All the people that she has cared for, all the widows who have been receiving, who have been on the receiving end of her ministry, they're all there crying and showing them all the beautiful clothes that they're probably wearing right then that she made for them. And now Peter's expected to do something he's never done before. Doesn't even know if he can do. Peter, go ahead and raise her from the dead. How do you do that when you don't have any experience? Well, Peter has seen somebody else do that before. Way back in Mark chapter 5 is the story of, of Jairus. Jairus, who's a, a father of a daughter who's 12 years old, and his 12-year-old daughter is extremely ill. And, and he, he runs to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, please come to my house and heal my daughter. And Jesus is traveling to Jairus' house, and before he gets there, Jairus gets the word that his daughter is dead. Jesus still goes to her house. And if you, if you know that story, you know, Jesus arrives at the house with all the mourners mourning a 12-year-old girl. It never should die that young. And it says that Jesus went to the upstairs room where she was. He kicked everybody out of the room except for, except for her, mother, her mother and father and three of his disciples, including Peter. And here's what happens. So as he went to where the child was, he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitham come, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. Peter saw that. So having witnessed that resurrection, Peter does his best imitation here of what he saw Jesus do. He clears the room. He sends them all out of the room and he gets down on his knees and he prays and he says to her, Tabitha, I say to you, get up. He probably said it in Aramaic. And if you notice, if you notice it's one letter different from what Jesus said. Jesus said, little girl, get up. Talitha, come. Peter says, Tabitha, come. Get up. Come 
complete imitation. He's following Jesus' lead. And he takes her by the hand, and she stands up, alive again. Wow. Peter steals the spotlight in this story, doesn't he? He performs a stunning miracle. Wow. Peter's raising someone from the dead. But do not miss the fact that before Peter was the hero of the story, Dorcas is the hero of this story. We cannot relegate Dorcas to the shadows too quickly. So wonder for a moment here with me. Do some wondering. Why Dorcas? Why Dorcas? Why of all the people did this community so desperately want Dorcas to be raised from the dead? I'm sure she wasn't the first person to die in that city. I know she wasn't the last. But we don't hear about anyone else. We don't hear about plans to raise anyone from the dead. In fact, in this whole book, there is never another group of people that plans to raise someone from the dead, to ask God for the power to raise them from, from the dead. When all 12 of the disciples die, nobody makes a plan to raise one of the disciples from the dead. The women who, who have been Jesus' disciples and following him everywhere that he goes and supporting his ministry, when they die, no one makes a plan to raise them from the dead. When Lazarus dies for the second time, nobody says, you know what, we should plan on him rising the second time. Nobody makes any plans to raise someone from the dead. Only Dorcas. She's the only one. Why her? And why did God say yes to that plan? Why did God answer their prayer and bring her back to life? He doesn't, he doesn't raise other people from the dead. You know, there's only one more resurrection after this in, in, the, in the New Testament. It's kind of an accidental one, right? It's the story of Eutychus. Eutychus, a young man who's listening to Paul preach, and Paul is droning on and on and on, as preachers always do, and Eutychus falls out of the third floor window and dies. He falls asleep and falls out the window. That's why I don't let any of you sit near the windows here. Paul rushes downstairs, brings him back to life, and then hauls him back upstairs and finishes his sermon like any good preacher would do. Dorcas is really the, the only planned one and one of the very, very few that God says, I'm going to raise her up. I'm going to raise her from the dead. Why? Why, Dorcas? When we ask that question, if we ask it honestly and look for honest answers, we can learn a lot about our own priorities in life and how we live our lives and what God truly values in our lives. We can learn about how you and I rightly express our gratitude to this, for the saving power of Jesus Christ in our lives. We can learn very practically to answer the question that Micah asks us in the Old Testament. He asks the question, what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? And Dorcas in her life doesn't give us a legalistic checklist of here are the things that God requires. She doesn't give us, a, you know, the Ten Commandment list. 
She doesn't set some impossibly high standard for us to, to, to do in life that leaves us feeling inadequate and, and frustrated. Instead, she lives out two very profound insights that you and I need to look at in our own lives. What does the Lord require of us? You know, God's spotlight on Dorcas here shows us someone who, first of all, did what she could. And I choose those words very carefully. She did what she could. Because those are not my words. Those are the words of Jesus himself. When you read the gospel stories of Jesus' life, you will very rarely find him celebrating people who had great power. You will very rarely see him celebrating people who accomplished great big things. Instead, Jesus defends and celebrates people who did what they could for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you the story where Jesus uses these words comes from Mark chapter 14. And in that chapter, Jesus is sitting at a banquet with, with a lot of leaders, pretty important banquet, pretty high-powered dinner there. And wh while he's sitting there around this table for dinner, a woman comes in carrying her most valuable possession, right? A jar of very expensive perfume. They say it's worth, it's worth a year's wages. I'll let you figure out in your own mind how much that'd be worth to you. How many thousands that might be worth to you? And she takes this jar of perfume and she breaks it open and she pours it over Jesus' head at that dinner. And like many of us would have been, the people all around that table were angry. They were angry at that. What a waste. All they saw was dollar signs dripping to the floor. Dollars that could have done great big, noticeable things. A year's worth of wages. And Jesus defends her. He says to them, you leave her alone. You know why? Because, quote, she did what she could. She did what she could. This is what she had. And this is what God asked her to do. And this is what she could do. And she did it. That's exactly what Jesus was celebrating as he sat in the temple courtyard later on, watching people bring their gifts to the temple treasury. Remember that story? He saw the rich people putting in their large amounts of money into the treasury, but he celebrated the widow who put in two pennies. Why did he celebrate her? Because she did what she could. She did what she could could. Back to Dorcas. You know what Dorcas did? She did what she could. She was good at sewing clothes. She wasn't good at preaching. She wasn't good at starting a business and making a lot of money. She wasn't on a church staff. She didn't go to seminary and study. She probably wasn't good at school. She was good at sewing. And so she took that ability that God gave her and she made a kingdom impact with it. She saw widows who were trapped 
in poverty who couldn't afford nice clothes. And so she sewed them nice clothes and she gave them to them. It's what God made her good at. So that's what she did. She did what she could. And she not only did what she could, but she did it the very best that she could as well. She put her all into this task. We, we can tell by the story that the clothes that she made were not second best. Were not just, you know, good enough. These were not second-rate clothes for, for second-rate people. These were clothes that were worth bragging about. Remember when Peter arrived? Here's the house packed full of the widows showing off all the clothes that Dorcas made for them. They were proud. These were clothes that made them proud. And, and their grief, their tears, a house packed full of people mourning and crying shows that, that Dorcas didn't just care for them from a distance. Right? She didn't sew these robes and dresses and then send someone else to deliver them. She didn't stay hidden away in her sewing room. She used this gift, this ability to get to know them, to love them in person. These women knew her. They loved her. She invested not just in their clothing, but she invested in their lives. She did what she could, and she did it the best that she could. She used the gift that God had given her to love the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind, with all her strength, and to love her neighbor as herself. And you know what God said? That's worth a resurrection. That is worthy of a resurrection. The church in Joppa knew it. Peter knew it. And God knew it. Now, before all of us go out and buy a sewing machine, know that that's not the point. If sewing is a required spiritual gift, then I'm in deep, deep trouble. And so are a lot of you. I brought my best sewing tool, my best result from when I was in middle school. I sewed this whale. Aren't you impressed? Middle school. It's the best that I'm ever going to do. I'm not going to save any lives with my sewing ability, okay? And you guys probably aren't either. But every single one of us here has something. Something that we could be doing. Every single one of us here has an ability that God has given us that we could be using to serve the people that God loves. And no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant it may seem, every single one of us has been given, been given opportunities to do what we can, the best that we can, and be celebrated by God for doing that. Every one of us. And you know, I look around and I see so many of you here at Ivanrest doing exactly that. Doing what you can the best you can. I see some of you serving 
here on Sunday mornings with our preschoolers back in iKids. Right? You could simply sign up and do your time and, and put in the time and look at your watch and can't wait to be done with that, right? But some of you are back there again and again and you're trying to build relationships with the youngest of our kids so that they feel comfortable going to the nursery so the parents can come and worship and the kids get to know and love you and you are getting to know and love those kids. And some of you are teaching the, the preschoolers and you could just put in your time, but you're loving those kids and while you lay the foundation of faith. You're doing what you can and you're doing it the best that you can. I see some of you eye-railing, eye-connect youth group leaders, not only committing to showing up on youth group nights, but caring enough in between to open your home for dinners and games and fun with those young people so that you'll build meaningful relationships with them. You're doing the, what you can the best you can. I see some of you opening your homes and your families to host foster children for days, weeks, sometimes even years, when it obviously would be less disruptive not to. You're doing what you can, the best you can. I heard just the other day of one of you who, who had been shoveling your widow neighbor's driveway for six years now after her husband passed away. Nobody knows about it. You're doing what you can, the best you can. I saw some of you serving Family Promises past week. Our, our, our guest just moved out this morning. You, again, you could have simply put in your time, but I saw some of you intentionally playing with the kids. I saw some of you intentionally sitting down and having a conversation with the moms who were here. I saw some of you putting extra touches on the meals that you brought to let them know that they're loved and cared for. You did the best you could with what you could. Some of you, I, I don't know, you're using your lawnmower. Some of you are using your car. Some of you are using your garden, your extra bedroom in your home. You're writing notes. You're writing checks. I don't know the half of what you're doing because you're doing it outside the spotlight. You're doing it in the shadows, away from center stage, rarely, rarely receiving any accolades or recognition, but you're doing what you can, the best you can. God raised Dorcas from the dead exactly for that reason. She sowed. She did what she could, the best that she could for God. That is what the Lord requires of you from Micah, right? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And this story of Dorcas helps us to, to take these broad concepts from Micah, these broad concepts, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, and to apply them to your daily life, to make them really practical. She leaves us with two simple questions. What can you do? And how can you do it the best that you can? It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be sincere and rooted in a love for God and a love for his people. The story leads me to wonder. 
I wonder what community would beg God to bring me back if I were to disappear. What community would beg God to bring you back if you were to disappear? Why you? What ministry would wonder, man, how in the world are we going to continue now that he's gone or she's gone? Anyone? Think about the answer. What can you do? Big or small, do it with all your heart. Do it the best you can. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for giving every single one of us something that we can be doing. It doesn't matter how young we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. There is something we can be doing. There's an ability that you've given each one of us that we can be using to serve others. And God, you've given each one of us an opportunity. And so out of immense gratitude for what you've done for us, Jesus, we think back to last week and we remember how we have been healed. We've been made whole by you. We've been given new life again. Impress that truth on our hearts and our minds so that we are now eager out of gratitude to do what we can, the best that we can, for your glory, for your kingdom. Father, thank you for the story of Dorcas. May it wake us up to the opportunities that you set before us. And as we do what we can, the best that we can, please help us to hear your well done spoken to us. Thank you for already giving us the resurrection through Jesus our Lord. Amen.